Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Matthew chapter 19. I, I want to I say something. It's impossible for you to get saved. And that's not my words, that's Jesus' words. And so before you're like, wait a minute, I am saved. I know, but it's impossible for you to be saved. It is impossible. I'm going to say it again. It is impossible for you to be saved. And I can prove it because Jesus is the one who said it. And what's happening is in this story is, is, is Jesus, there, he's hanging out with his disciples, and this rich guy comes to Jesus and he says, he says, you know, what can I do to inherit eternal life? He's like, well, do all the good things. He's like, I've done all the good things. He's like, go give away everything you have and follow me. And, and that's, here's a question. Is Jesus worth everything you have? Oh, and it, it really, it just comes down to this, this core issue. And it's what we teach in our disciple making is, are you willing to obey the word of God over what you want? We all want things. I want some things. You want some things. Um, right? You have things that you want. And, and, and Jesus is calling us to obey his word over our own desires. And, and it, I was having a moment with the Lord a while back. I was like, God, I just, I'm ready to get to the point to where my desires also completely match your desires. And the Lord said, me too, but for now I'll just take your obedience despite your desires. That's something. Come on. And, and um, that was like a good dad talking to his kid. I was like, thank you, Lord. So anyway, he's good like that. Like, like he is good like that. And the more you're with him, the more your desires will become aligned to his. And so this rich man says, well, you know, what can I do to, to be saved, to have eternal life? And he said, sell everything. Am I worth everything? And, and, and starting off, what is the thing that you're holding on to? Well, Jesus, you're worth everything besides this. And I'd say he's worth that thing. He's worth that thing to give up this morning. And then he goes away sad because he's not willing to give up his thing. Right? He's not willing to give up his thing. And we think, man, rich people, jeez, you know? Um, yeah, we're all rich in different ways. We have our thing that makes us feel wealthy, makes us feel valuable, right? This is not even my sermon. Oh, my goodness. i got to get to my sermon. Um, and his disciples in verse 25, when they heard it, they were greatly astonished. Show me a face of being greatly astonished. Come on, all across this room, show me a greatly astonished face. Only half of you are participating. The other half are covered in masks. So um, are you greatly astonished? Like, like what did you just say? Like, have you ever been in a room where someone said something and it just struck you wrong? And you're like, what? Right? You're greatly astonished saying, who then can be saved? Who can be saved? And you know what Jesus said? He looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. No, no, no. He looked at them. He looked at them in the eye. He said, with man, this is impossible. 
It's impossible for you to be saved. But he doesn't stop. But, everyone say but. But with God, all things are possible. That's the big amen. I'll say it again. But with God, all things are possible. Are you with me? Yeah, you're with me this morning. And I'm just completely wrecked, and I have to change part of my sermon up. Go to Ezekiel chapter 37. Because, like, I was thinking about the impossible, and then I didn't even have this in my sermon today, and I was like, I have to put this in here because this is, like, impossible. Um, Ezekiel chapter 37, and I apologize, this is not going to be polished at all because I didn't plan for this part. Uh, but you guys are gracious, awesome people, and you'll go with me. Um, Ezekiel 37. Um, Ezekiel, we don't go to Ezekiel much. It looks like it's about halfway through the, the book there. Um, Ezekiel 37, it says, The hand of the Lord was upon me. How many love when the hand of the Lord is upon you, right? And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. A valley is not a good place to be in. That's, it's always a, a metaphor and a symbol of a place that you don't want to be in. Bad things happen in valleys. It's, it's, a, it's a low spot. Things will go to die in the valley. And he led me. It says in the valley, it was full of bones. Say bones. Bones are dead. I don't know if you've ever seen bones, but bones are dead. And he led me around among them. And behold... There were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. Now, what were they? They weren't dry. They were very dry. They weren't dry. They were very dry. These things weren't just dead. They were very dead. Not that it would be less of a miracle if they were just dry, but these, these are very dry bones and i just think it's crazy that god has led the man of god to a valley of bones to a place of death i'm preaching he led him to a place of death sometimes we show up into a place of death and we're shocked by it like i can't even believe i'm here right now we pray these prayers god i don't know what you're thinking I, I shouldn't be here. Do you know who I am? I'm the person that's serving you, that's walking faithfully for you. And I'm here now? We, we want to be the prophet in the palace. Prophesying to the king, the king going, that's a good word, come on. We want to be that prophet. We don't want to be the prophet in the valley with the bones. There's no glory in that. No, there's not. There's miracles in that. And he said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, and I love this, I love this. He said, oh Lord God, you know. Come on. You know. I'm not going to say no. I don't know if I have enough faith to say yes. Yeah, yeah, right? Yeah, I know the answer, but, but let's see if you know the answer, Right? You know, oh Lord, you know. And so the Lord said, yeah, you know what I do? He says this, he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, 
Oh, dry bones. And here's the promise. In the pro- we say, prophe- what's that song? We prophesy your promise. Well, here, here's him prophesying the promise. Oh, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Not the word of Ezekiel. Not the word of the prophet. Not, not, not the word of Drew. Not the word of Kai. Not the word of William. Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. He says it twice there. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you, and you shall live. And I will, set, I, mean, I will lay sinews upon you, and I will cause flesh to come upon you, and I will cover you with skin, and I will put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And I love that because how does this end? It doesn't end with people being alive. It ends up with people being alive and knowing that He is the Lord. What's the purpose of all things? Isn't it just great to just have good miracles and stuff? The purpose of all things is to bring glory to the Lord so that we would know that He is the Lord. And so when we're in the valley, when we're in the dry season, we're in the place like, Lord, I don't know why I'm here. The Lord is saying, look, I put you in this impossible place so that I can glorify myself so that others will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied. Come on, he's partnering with what the Lord said. He's just being obedient. And I just say, he's just being obedient. I'm not sure if he still believes this or not. Because back when he was asked in faith, do you, what do you think? He said, Lord, you know. He's almost saying, I don't know. I don't even know if I have enough faith. But I have enough faith to do what you've told me to do. So I prophesied as I was commanded. I did what I was told to. And as I prophesied, there was a sound. There was a sound. And behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to bone. Can you hear that? Can you hear I don't know, the kids, you've probably seen Iron Man when he tries to assemble his suit. It's all in the pieces and all of a sudden it just starts to fly together. These bones were scattered all over this valley. Can you imagine just these bones just begin to rattle and fly together? Bones have been strung all across this valley. Animals stringing them from place to place, digging at them, picking at them. They weren't just laying their skeletons next to each other. But as these bones come together, there's a, there's a rattling, there's a sound, and the bones came together bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. That's still a pretty cool miracle. Stop right there. We can go home. We just had church. And that's the, some of us do stop right there. Oh man, I saw a miracle today. Yes, you did. And praise God for it. But have we got to, do these, does this army know who the Lord is? Do these bones know who the Lord is yet? No, because there's no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, or say to the four winds, O breath, and breathe on the slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. An exceedingly great army. Not just some bones anymore, which are worthless, but now we have an exceedingly great army. Can I tell you something? 
God can do the impossible. God can do the impossible. And he can do it in a way that you don't think possible. Okay, so here's the thing. Like, we could go around this room, and, 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 and we like to do this in, in our disciple-making, is we, we like to get real honest and vulnerable about things going on in our life. And there's, I think almost all of us probably have a thing in our life that this is an impossible situation. And we think we know what it would take to fix it. Like, I even have a recipe. I, I, knew, I mean, if this would happen, and then this, and then this, and this, and this, then the situation would be fixed. Right? If my boss would just get a clue and give me the raise, then I'd make more money, then I could pay off that bill, and then I could start doing that ministry that God has called me to do because I'll have the, the funds for it. Like, like, we have the recipe. We think we know how it's going to happen. And can I tell you, more times than not, in the Word of God, God uses the complete impossible to make the thing happen and maybe it's even a completely different thing than what we thought. And so I would challenge you this morning to get rid of your recipe. Get rid of your preconceived notion of how you think God is going to move in your situation. Because here's a great thing. He can't, like, you can't change people around you. You can't. All you can do is be obedient like the man of God. And God can move in you. And glorify himself in you. That's the point. The point isn't for you to have a miracle. The point isn't for you to feel better. I hate to say that. The point is for God to glorify himself in you. That's way easy to preach. Some of you are going to need to call me on Tuesday and remind me of my sermon today, right? Because it's way easy to preach. It's a harder thing to walk out. Like God needs to be glorified in me. Go with me to Genesis. I just want to show you a few times, and I want you to start thinking, some of you, of times that God has moved in you. Okay, Genesis, let's go to chapter 12. Let's talk about a guy named Abraham. How many of you have ever heard of Abraham? Father Abraham had many sons. No, he didn't. Father Abraham had zero sons, and zero sons had Father Abraham. Um, Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, because Abraham, was a, he didn't have any kids. And this is what it says. Now the Lord said to Abram, soon to be Abraham, go from your country and your kindred, that's your family, and your father's house to a land that I show you, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. He says to Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation. He tells Abraham, I'm going to give you a son. So Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Some of us, we just think we're too old. Some of us think we're too young. Some of us think we're too old. Isn't that crazy? And God's like, I, I just think you're you and I want to use you. And Abram took his wife Sarah, his wife, 
and it, Lot, his brothers and sons, and their possessions they had gathered, and, and they leave. And uh, where, am I in the right spot here? I need to skip down to where. I might have to pull up my backup notes here because I think I'm, I'm confusing myself just slightly. Give me just half a second here. Oh, I want to go to 18. Let's go to 18. Verse 10. Some of, my, some of my scriptures didn't change over. I changed some scriptures earlier. 18, verse 10. This is, this is great. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about 1810. I will, the Lord said, surely I will return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door. You think she's full of faith? No, you've heard this. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old and advanced in years. The way women had ceased being with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old. She just called her hubby old. Um, shall I have pleasure? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? Underline that in your Bible, please. Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. She was afraid. And he said, no, but you did. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to say that with me. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I'll say it again. With God, all things are possible. If you go over to chapter 21, we see this thing fulfilled that Sarah has a son that was promised to her. To her. She's conceived and bore, a, bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time which God had spoken to him. And Abraham called the name of his son who was born of him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son when he was eight days old, as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. Uh, I, I did laugh. I did laugh. It's, it is funny. This is funny. God can do the impossible, and it's kind of funny. Can, can you imagine? And what's crazy is this is this is God's chosen people. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make you a great nation and he can't even have a kid. Sometimes God tells us things and, and we hear his promises and we we don't believe it inside. And yet God fulfills his promise, not because we're faithful, but because he's faithful. Now, there's definitely if we read the word, there's consequences of walking in disobedience of the Lord. But sometimes God just decides, not sometimes, God just decides that he's going to use you and he's going to use you. It's better to just go along with it and not go kicking and screaming and laughing. Partner with the word of the Lord. Believe the word of the Lord. He can do the impossible. He can do the impossible. Look at Joseph. For the second time, we won't turn there, but, but look at Joseph, right? What happens? He has a dream, right? He has a dream. Over in was it Genesis 37, he has a dream. And what do his brothers do because of the dream he has? Yeah, they make fun of him, they ridicule him, 
what? You're going to rule over us? And they sell the guy into slavery. They were going to kill him. Because of the dream God had put in his heart, they were going to kill him. Hey, God, thanks for this dream. Some of you, God has put a dream in your heart, and you're like, man, this, like, when everyone hears what God has put in my heart, it's going to make, like, everyone's going to be so about this. And you start telling people what God has put in you, and you're getting the opposite reaction. Sometimes from the people closest to you. This is what God's put on my heart, and they're like, and they ridicule you. They just want you away from them. They push you away. There's this false notion in, in American Christianity that says if we're truly walking in the Lord, that everyone will just be drawn to us. And that's, that's not necessarily the case. Some people reject you because you're hearing from the Lord. Once again, you can't control the people. All you can do is be obedient to the dream that God has put inside of you. And so Joseph, he's faithful to the dream. And what happens? He ends up in Potiphar's house, does a great job, is accused, falsely accused of something, thrown in prison, does a great job in prison, ends up being second to the king because of the dream. And what happens? His dream was that his brothers would come to him and bow down to him, right? What happens? Once he becomes vice president of Egypt, his brothers show up. They bow down to him. The dream comes true. God fulfills his promise. God fulfills his promise. And you can see that. That's such a, it's a wonderful story. I think I, the story of Joseph is one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's just so long. It's hard to preach the whole thing because there's just so much there. It's just so rich and full of so many things. Go with me to Exodus. You're, you're in, you're in um, Genesis. Just flip a few pages over to Exodus uh, the second chapter. In Exodus, we're going to go to Exodus chapter 2, actually. Um, but there's some additional uh, scriptures up there you can see that just backs this up again. But in Exodus chapter 2, um, we're talking about Moses. Moses chapter 2, verse 23. It says, During those da many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning and remembered his covenant with Abraham. He remembered the promises he had made with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. And God knew. Here, here's the thing, is an entire people group has made, been made a slave in Egypt. It's, it's Exodus chapter 2, verse 23. And if you skip forward over into Exodus chapter 3, you see Moses, he suddenly becomes very concerned about his people. He didn't have to grow up a slave. He got to grow up in the palace. But he suddenly becomes very concerned with his people. And as he's becoming very concerned with his people, he goes out one day and he decides that he's had enough. And what does he do? He kills an Egyptian. He sees an Egyptian messing with one of his people and he kills the Egyptian. Right? He kills the Egyptian. Moses partnered with the wrong thing. 
he was trying to force something to happen on his own. What was his plan? To kill all the Egyptians? You see, God, God, God is going to sometimes call us to things and put things in our heart, and we'll try to move in things in a way that, that doesn't honor the Lord. Like we try to manipulate and control the situation ourselves from the outside. Once again, we're following our recipe. Our man-made recipe of if I do it like this, then God can use it like that. I'm telling you, you've got him. It's not going to be that way. Instead, what it's going to be, and it makes sense. If we kill Egyptians, then no more Egyptians can rule slaves. That makes sense. God says, that's not the way I'm going to do it. The way I'm going to do it is with things that don't make sense. And so Moses ends up out in the wilderness by himself, and he's walking along, and all of a sudden he sees a bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. Now that's crazy and that's weird, and, and I wish I could strip the, the Sunday school visual of that out of your mind for a moment, and you could hear fresh and new how weird and awkward that would be. And as Moses walks up to this burning bush, it speaks to him and says, take off your shoes, you're on holy ground. Uh, that might be weird. Why would he have to take off his shoes if hold the ground? Because you don't put your shoes on things that are important. You know this. This is still in our culture today. Some of you take off your shoes when you go in the house. I'll tell you what you don't do. You don't take off your shoes and put them on the kitchen counter. Right? Because the kitchen counter, it's, it's holy. And that word holy means it's got a specific purpose. Right? It's got a specific purpose that's set aside, and that's what holy means. It's a specific, set aside, separated purpose. This is for food prep, not your dirty cow poop shoes. And so here's Moses. What he, he's a shepherd. He's got goats, sheep, whatever he's been walking around with. What's on his shoes? So he walks into this spot, and the Lord says, take your shoes off. You're in a special place. This ain't a place for shoes. This is a place for God. And this bush begins to speak to him. And Moses doesn't respond in faith. He responds with excuses. And yet God decides to use him anyway. Guys, this should give us great faith that sometimes we respond with excuses like, God, my desire doesn't match up with your desire or God, I can't do it because I'm not qualified in this way. And God, like, like he's like, I'm telling you, I'm going to use you. I'm telling you, I've got a plan for you. I'm telling you, I'm going to get you through this, but you've got to trust me. And that's what I want to say to you this morning is, listen, God, it, listen, uh, I need to slow down, think, through, think. Uh, God didn't just save you to make you good. God didn't come to make bad things good. He came to make dead things alive. He wants you to be alive. He wants you to be victorious. And you're going to make excuses. And he's going to be like, oh, sweetheart, that's wonderful. Um, you, think, you, think, you think your excuses are more powerful than me, right? Buddy, can I just tell you something? I'm God. Like the God who breathes out stars, your excuse is pitiful next to him. And he's going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. He's going to empower you to do what he's called you to do. So we see there in Exodus chapter 12, we see the promise fulfilled and the children of Israel coming out of slavery, not just coming out of slavery, but the Egyptians throwing their gold and treasure at them saying, 
we just want you to leave. And so God fulfills his promise. We see it again in, in Joshua chapter 6 with Joshua in the, in the battle of Jericho. And, and I, I love this. Um, well, you can just go and read it. But here they are. They, they, they face an impossible situation. There's a wall. But God has told them that they're going to inherit that land. And then God told them to do something that doesn't match the recipe. I want you just to walk around the wall. Let's just, let's just walk around the wall. Do you think it'll work? I, I don't. That doesn't make sense. What I love about this one is like, like archaeologists have gone and dug this thing up and the wall just kind of goes and makes a ramp for them to go up in there and take the city. From walking around the wall, once again, I wish I could just strip the VeggieTales out of your mind for a second and that you could just like understand. Like, like you and me, it's a Bible story. Imagine waking up that morning and being one of the children of Israel camping out and you see the wall in the distance and Joshua comes up and says, all right, we're going to walk around the wall. So, so we're going to set up perimeters so supplies can't get in and out. Um, not exactly. We're going to walk around it. Every day for the next six days. On the seventh day, we're going to walk around seven times. And then we're just going to praise God. And he's going to take care of this. And by the way, when it does fall, don't take anything. This city is our first city. It belongs to God. He gets the first fruit. Everything here belongs to him. Jericho belongs to the Lord. Don't take a thing. Let's just go. And then he does the impossible in a way that doesn't match our recipe. Uh, I love it. If you go to Ruth, and Ruth, um, you don't have to go there because it would take longer. Uh, Ruth, she faces an impossible situation. She ends up being a widow, which is like, like okay. In our culture today, I don't think we truly understand how terrible it was to end up a single woman in that culture. This is a, this, women in a lot of respects were considered property. This woman was going to be down and out. There was no welf welfare system like we have today. Women weren't respected like, like we have today. So her husband dies and she decides to go back to a land where she's a stranger, an alien, a foreigner. She tells her mother-in-law, your God will be my God. That's a powerful statement. Your God will be my God. And I want to say to all the unmarried people in here today, you better find a spouse who you guys have the same God. That you're worshiping the same God because it's going to be really hard to be unequally yoked. What I think is so crazy is Ruth finds Boaz. She wasn't trying to find Boaz. She was trying to find food. She was trying to find food. She was just trying to be faithful to her mother-in-law because not only was she in a bad spot because of being a widow, but her mother-in-law was also in a bad spot. And through being a servant to her mother-in-law, she ends up finding a man of God. 
just by being a servant. And she ends up being the grandmother of King David, who ends up being the great, 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 great grandfather of Jesus. Like, she becomes the great, 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 great grandmother of Jesus just because she was faithful. Her life didn't match a recipe. God did an impossible work. And I'm also reminded of David. Let's talk about King David for a second. Who, who he was just a shepherd. He was this, the runt of the litter. Well, he probably wasn't a small guy. He's, he's a handsome dude. But, but he was the youngest, and he was overlooked by everyone else. Like, hey, let's, let's make a king out of this family. Um, it's probably one of the older brothers. No, it's going to be this guy right here, the guy just sitting out with the sheep. All David did was be faithful to what God had called him to do, being faithful with the sheep. And, and once again, this is the whole thing of, of the prophet in the palace versus the prophet in the valley of the dry bones. Like, he wasn't anything great besides being faithful to where he was. And all I want us to do today, 400 House of Prayer, is, is let's just be faithful to where we are right now. And if it's just hanging out with sheep, then let's protect those sheep. How's God ever going to trust us in a palace if he can't trust us with just a few sheep? So David is, is faithful with the few sheep, and then he gets put into these impossible situations. You see, and oh, I'm totally not falling through my thing, but it, like in 1 Samuel chapter 20, you see the reigning king coming after David, chasing him down to kill him because of jealousy and rage, because of the anointing of God on his life. I'm going to tell you again, I know I've said it three or four times, but over and over again in Scripture and over and over again in your life, people are going to come after you because what God has called you to do in your life. And they're going to say, well, you're not qualified for it. In fact, I hope not only that you don't get to do what you think God's called you to do, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure you don't succeed. So King Saul is chasing down David and attempt to kill him. What I think is crazy is david has a chance to kill king saul doesn't do it i won't touch the lord's anointed it's a position of the heart and then in the midst of all of it we see in second samuel chapter five he finally becomes anointed king but i want us to turn to psalms for just a second because in psalms there's this psalm of david as he's running he's running from the king who's trying to kill him when he's supposed to get to be king and I want you just to listen to this. This is, this is crazy. Psalm 57, to the choir master according to do not destroy a mictum of David when he fled from Saul in the cave. All right, so he's hiding in a cave from the king who's trying to kill him. And this is the song he wrote. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the, till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God Most High, to God who fulfills His purpose for me. He will sin from heaven and save me. He will put to shame Him who tramples on me. Not, not me. He, God will do it. God will do it. God will send out His steadfast love. And his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. Ever felt that way before? That just your soul's in the middle of just beasts just trying to tear you up. I lay down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears 
and arrows whose tongues are sharp swords. I know we've all felt that before. People just tearing us down. Just daggers to our soul with their mouths. We've all had that. How, what's his response? Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way. But they have fallen into it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I love that. I will sing and make melody. Awake my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will awake the dawn. Listen, some of you need to start waking up the morning. Some of you wait for the morning to wake you up. Some of you need to start saying, good morning, morning, I'm here. I don't know if today's even ready for me. I, I say it to my kids like this sometimes in my classes. Some of you let life happen to you. You need to happen to life. That's greater. I guess it's bigger in my head than you need to happen to life. Anyway, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the clouds be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over the earth. This is the whole craziness of the whole thing. The point isn't, woe is me, I'm stuck in a cave with a king trying to kill me. The point is, God be glorified. The point is, God, even here while I'm in this cave and all of life seems hopeless and everything seems gone and everything seems impossible, God, you be glorified in me. In Mark chapter 5, I know I'm just going through a lot, but this is, come on. God is good. I just want you to see over and over. We've done a lot of Old Testament. Let's look at Mark chapter 5. I want you to know that God is good. In Mark chapter 5, Verse 24, we come upon a woman who's had an issue of blood, bleeding for, for 12 years. And it says in verse 25 that she had a discharge of blood for 12 years and she had suffered very much under many physicians and had spent all she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Her situation seemed impossible. Say impossible. These are, uh, I'm just giving you impossible after impossible situation this morning because some of you are going through an impossible situation. If you're not today, we'll wait for tomorrow. I'm not prophesying that over you. I'm just saying. She spent everything. No one could fix her. The recipe wasn't working. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. That doesn't make any sense at all. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Jesus makes the impossible possible in ways that just don't even make sense. There's no reason why touching somebody's coat should make you better. But the Lord moved. All, all she had to do was walk in faith. And if you look down in verse 34, he says, Her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace 
and be healed of your disease. And I just want to say, where is your faith? Is it in your recipe or is it in the Lord? Is it in your recipe or is it in, in the Lord this morning? And, and we see, uh, uh, you can go on and read that next chapter about the woman who's, whose daughter had died. And he's like, man, she's not dead. She's just sleeping. And he says, little girl, I say to you, arise in verse 41. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. He makes dead things alive. This is an impossible situation. He makes dead things alive. Acts chapter 16, we see, we see the men of God saying, hey, we want to go to Asia and preach the good news. And God says, no, I want you to go to Macedonia. Go the other way completely. Go the other way completely. Oh, okay, if we're obedient to God, he's going to make great things happen. Fast forward, they're in prison. But God, we were obedient to you. And now we're in prison. Seems like an impossible situation. There's a lot of ways to get out of prison. You know what one of them isn't is? Like in any movie I've ever watched, just singing and praising God and being thankful. That's not a way to get out of prison. I guess that's a way to be emotionally well while I'm in prison. The other day I was talking to um, Jack Ritchie and we were talking about s some different things and um, he said, he said, I really feel like, like the enemy, the enemy, he, he's, he's trying to, the word he used was assassinate some people spiritually. And I'd agree. I've seen a lot of crazy stuff going on lately in the body of Christ where the enemy's just, he's trying to grab some of your faith and just wreck it. And he said, I just, he said, I don't know why, but I just feel like what the Lord's been saying to me is sing. 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 And I was like, yeah, I can sing. I can sing. And I mean, the faith that comes when you just, just, Alexa, play rattle, volume 11. Boom, let's just do this thing, right? Let's just sing. And let's just praise the Lord, not because it's not the singing, it's the glorifying of God in the midst of the storm. Well, you know what's crazy is the disciples, they're in a boat with a storm around them, and what is Jesus doing? He was walking on water that time. The time I'm talking about is the time he was asleep. Either way, none of those make sense. Some of us want to freak out about the storm and God's like, grab a pillow. That's not what he wants you to do. When he woke up, what did he do? He rebuked them for not having faith and then he calmed the storm. Peace be still. Some of you just need to take a nap. Because your effort isn't going to stop the storm. Your recipe isn't going to make the waves die down any more than they are. The storm is going to happen. You know, I think it's crazy. Jesus knew it was on the other side of that storm. He knew the lives he had to touch on the other side of that storm. He wasn't freaking out. I'm not going to die here. We need to rest. Dad preached on it, so I won't preach on rest. 
So these men of God in Acts 16, they sing, and what happens? Their chains fall off, and if it were me, I'd be like, let's get out of this place, because I thought that was the miracle. Once again, we think that's the miracle. Oh, there's bodies here with flesh on them. That's the miracle. No. The miracle is to glorify God. That's the miracle. We think the miracle is the bones getting flesh. That's not the miracle. We think the miracle is the chains fell off. I have freedom now. Your freedom isn't God's ultimate purpose. It's going to happen. We thank God for the freedom. I'm not saying. God's much more worried about glorifying himself than your freedom. And so their chains fell off. And do they run? Nope, they stay. Why? So God can be glorified. That doesn't make any sense. And so their chains fall off, and God saves that jailer and his family. And guess what? They also get to get out of prison, right? They go out, get out of jail, free card there. Like, like it doesn't make sense. And so I just want you to take, what it, like, take your recipe for the impossible situation and just throw it away this morning. Here's... Here's the thing. You will try for false fulfillment. Abraham had Ishmael. Well, Sarah's old. I don't know if you've seen her. She's not looking so great. Actually, that's not true. She was actually looking really great. So great that other guys kept trying to take his wife. Oh, yeah, you can have her. It's my sister. Um, That's what happened. Um, She looked really good. Um, So he finds another woman and has Ishmael. But that wasn't God's promise, was it? He tried to have a kid with another woman. He's like, no, Sarah will make you the father of many nations. All nations will be blessed. Joseph ended up going through Potiphar's house. He didn't just immediately, like, go and be vice president of Egypt. He ended up in prison. Can you imagine what had happened if he'd given in to Potiphar's wife? He had opportunity. Well, you know, my life's pretty rough, so I'm going to give in to this opportunity. No way. Moses took matters in his own hands of trying to murder the Egyptian. At the Battle of Jericho, they were supposed to dedicate those things, that whole city to the Lord, and some of them stole some of the some of the treasure from the city for themselves. And they ended up losing the next battle because of it. Because, well, we can't trust God to provide, so we have to provide for ourselves. So they stole things. And, and David had an opportunity to kill a king in a cave. And so you're going to be presented with opportunities to take matters into your own hands. And I am going to say, forerunner house prayer, Let's not. Right? And, and guys, I'm, I'm preaching to myself right now. Like, I, there's so many things in my life. I'm like, well, if I would just do it like this, then I could get what I want. And the Lord's like, really? Really? Or you could just trust me. I... I love it. I was talking to someone the other day, and I was talking about our church. And um, I don't, guys, I don't need to be the expert in the room. 
Like, that's not what this church, if you come to this church because you need an expert in the room, you've come to the wrong church. Um, what my heart is, is that we're all disciple makers and I'm just the lead disciple maker. That each one of you have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord for yourself and walk with the Lord yourself. And declare truth to one another and to other people. Like, I don't need to be the expert. I, I, sometimes I need to be challenged. And, and some of you are really good about doing that in a very loving way, by the way. Some of you guys are really incredible of Pastor Drew doesn't have to be the expert, but sometimes Pastor Drew needs to be challenged on the things he thinks. Guys, that's biblical. It's biblical for us to walk with one another and bring the word to one another and bring love and correction to one another. Correct? That's, that's a thing, and that's what, that's what having a disciple-making community is about and trusting what God's doing and not what we're seeing. How many know we're not seeing really great things right now? If you're trusting what you're seeing, there's a lot, a lot of really bad stuff going on. <laughs> like, I, I made this statement a couple days ago, and I said, COVID's ruined my life, and I was challenged on it. But has it? I was like, oh. What am I glorifying by that statement? Come on. We put our eyes on what we see, that's not faith at all in the impossible. You know what's really great? It's yesterday. I bring my daughters over here yesterday, and I was going to spend some time just studying for a sermon or whatever, and it ended up turning into a prayer meeting with my daughters, which was not what we had planned. We walked in the door griping at each other. And before we knew it, my kids are in the floor weeping before the Lord. I'm just over in the corner like, don't say anything, don't, do any, don't mess this up, right? Um, and so what does that do to me as a dad? It just breaks me. God is faithful. I couldn't have made that happen. But God is faithful, and he knows the actual desires of our heart. We think we know what we want. He knows. He knows knows exactly what we want what we need but we got to lean into him we got to remember that god also has a don't get caught up on the false fulfillment and worship team come on up because i think you're going to do another in the fire or we might just blare rattle as loud as we can um and um i just want us to know that we have a promise from God, right? We, there, is, there is promise from God. Abraham had a visitation, right? Moses had a burning bush. Joseph had a dream. 
Ruth saw God move in her life. Joshua saw the walls fall down. And David, man, he went through some hard stuff, but he's called a man after God's own heart. Like, that's not nothing. In in Matthew... The disciples get like the worst news ever. How many have ever like daydreamed what it would be like to just walk with Jesus like while he was walking on the earth? Like I've been walking with Jesus now, but like to be able to just be like, to be there and hear him. And I just want us to know that like the scripture tells us blessed, we're blessed because we didn't get to see him, right? There's a blessing in that. But how cool would that have been? And the disciples, like, everything is going so right. Like, so many cool miracles are happening. God's doing the impossible in front of them every day. And then Jesus says this in Mark 16, verse 21. He said, from this time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. Like, I'm going to die. But Jesus, everything is going really good. So much so that what does Peter do? He pulls Jesus aside and says, like heck you are. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. It's your recipe. What happens? Matthew 27. This is now, in verse 45, now from the sixth hour there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of the bystanders hearing it said, this man is calling on Elijah. Jesus is, he's hanging on the cross. And one of them at once ran and took a sponge and filled it with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. But the other said, wait, let's see whether Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And in verse, in chapter 28, it says, Now after the Sabbath, towards the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. 
But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here, for he has risen as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb. And with fear and great joy, they ran to tell the disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold to his feet and worshipped him. And Jesus said, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. I'm telling you, he's the God of the impossible. There's no reason a dead man should come back to life, especially after dying that kind of death. But he's the God of the impossible. And what impossible thing has he done for you? What impossible thing has he done for you? Could you tell me about it? If I asked you, could you tell me about it? Like, the thing is, is what I just did is I read testimony after testimony after testimony of how he does the impossible. My question is, what is your testimony? What impossible thing has he done for you? And I'd encourage you, if you don't, can't think of an answer to that, to spend some time, and I bet you can, and to write it down and, and share it with someone, because he's the God of the impossible. He's the God of the impossible. Will you stand with me? And I want us to sing this song, and I want us to sing it like he's the God of the impossible, like he's not the God of the dead, he's the God of the living, and, and, and he's alive like right now, like right now. And I know, listen, I know there's things that your heart desires. I know there's things that hurt when you think about it. Like I know there's things like, God, I just wish, I wish you would just do it this way. It would be so much better if you did it this way. And God say, look, son, daughter, my way will bring glory to me like his way will bring glory to him we just have to trust his way we just have to trust his way just close your eyes all across this room and and surrender to that surrender to the god of the impossible Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.